Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Today we're going to close out uh, the sermon series and talking about God's heart for people. So I wanted to start off with this word cloud. So I want everyone to participate because, and let me just kind of explain the whys again. The reason why Pastor Bo and I, we sometimes do a Mentimeter or like these uh, word clouds and stuff like that is because we want to be able to have you participate, but also it's good for all of you to realize who else is in our church that think and feel the same way I do, or what are some other thoughts that other people have. And so if you could scan this QR code, the question is simply this, why do you think so many uh, people have a negative view of Christians? Why do so many people have a negative view of Christians. So if you could just kind of put in a word in there or a little phrase, and then we're going to do this word cloud, and we're going to be able to see why so many people in this world, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood, or even in your school, why they look at Christians in such a negative way. So if you could uh, fill that out and just quickly do that, I think uh, we'll try to see if we can look at the word cloud right now and see what we're coming up with. Okay, my goodness. Okay, you see those big letters there. Uh, so we have things like hip, hypocrisy or self-righteous, uh, legalistic, hypocrite. Um, hypocrite is coming up a lot, right? Hypocritical, hypocrisy, double standard, stubborn, judgmental. Uh, the, it's, it's going. So I, I want you to just look at this. Is, this is from our church. People right now in this room who are watching online, this is what they're sharing with us why so many people, and so many people being their friends, family members, co-workers that you have a relationship with on a regular basis, why they have such a negative view of Christians. Uh, And I want you to look at it. And it's kind of, I don't think there's anyone in here like, oh my God, I'm judgmental. Oh, I didn't know I was hypocritical. I think all of us knew like some of these answers would be there. Because we've experienced it from other Christians. And for some of us, we've been on the other side where we are judgmental. And we are hypocritical. And we're not loving. Or we feel like we're so self-righteous. And I was thinking if you were a pre-Christian, how would you feel and what would you be thinking about Christians around you? Sometimes we forget that. We, we, we are believers, so we feel comfortable that now we're saved and we're in a church. We have a community, a group of friends. But if you were a pre-Christian and you were thinking about some of the Christians in your life, like what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? And I'm wondering, how do you feel as a Christ follower, knowing that those were some of the things that people view of you and possibly of other people who are in this church. It's not a very pretty picture. In fact, the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I didn't grow up in the church. And some of those reasons that you see up there were the reasons why I did not want to become a Christian. It had to be a super, it had to be, it had to have been a supernatural work of God to bring me to that point where I realized I needed him. 
And I'm thankful that there were some people who lived out their faith and walked with me during those stages of my life. But I would say, by and large, I would see so many Christians who lived out those things. Double standard, telling me all this stuff, but yet when I see them, they're no different from me. But then on Sunday, they're all holy, but then they live the way they want to live. So I share this because this is very dear and near to my heart. When I think about the lost, when I think about those people who do not know Jesus Christ, or even if they have no excuse other than these Christians are hypocrites, still being blinded. But with that being said, I will say this. I think there are many pre-Christians who have misconceptions about Christians, and some of those things are either judgmental on their side. Do you see the irony in it? They, they don't like Christians because they're so judgmental, but the pre-Christians are now judgmental of Christians. So I like to highlight those kind of hypocrisies and double standards on the other side. But I think there are times when certain things are misconstrued or maybe misunderstood, and that's why they view it as hypocrisy or they view it as being judgmental or viewing it as a double standard. I'm not necessarily condoning or trying to support when Christians are like that, but I'm just saying there are times when there's, uh, there's a misunderstanding and a lack of being able to understand where they're coming from. Um, I want to show you this quick video, and I think this kind of epitomizes what I feel like a lot of Christians, especially in the States, feel towards Christians. And I think some of us kind of feel this even here. And I know there's a different dynamics here in Hong Kong as well, I'm getting to know some of the pastors some of the different churches here, uh, some of these people who have fell, uh, fell away from Christ and fell away from the church. There's a different kind of spirit here of things that you guys have experienced, those of you who are local Hong Kong, and some of you can relate to this because it relates to what you've experienced back home, where you're from. But I would say this is probably a good depiction about what a lot of people feel. Let me, let me just kind of give a precursor to this video so you understand what you're going to about to watch. This is a, just a woman who's an ordinary woman, and I'm guessing that she might even be a Christian. And that's why we don't want to judge. We don't know for sure, but this is a, a view of a lot of Christians. So pretty much it's in Florida, the state of Florida, and there they have a little bit more lax view of wearing masks. And so as you know, Americans... <laughs> We're so independent, we're rugged individualism, and you know, you don't tell us what to do. You know, that's, that's us Americans. And so pretty much they were trying to institute a mandate that everyone wear a mask. So there was a commission, a hearing in this county of Florida, and so this woman comes up and she's just going off at it. Why that the government cannot tell her to wear a mask? And the interesting thing is she's supposed to explain why she believes that she's not supposed to be told to wear a mask, but she starts going off on so many other things that's somehow not even related, but just airing out some of her opinions. So I want you to watch this, and after you watch this, I want you to kind of let that taste linger a little bit because this is what many pre-Christians feel about you and about me. Let's watch it together. I'm still trying to understand how 5G and Hillary Clinton and Bill Gates are all connected. I'm still trying to figure that out. 
Now, I don't want to be laughing at people, or maybe some of you hold the same view, so praise the Lord. Uh, we'll, we'll pray for you. Um, but I'm just wondering, how would a pre-Christian be thinking when they hear something like that? What are you thinking? Like, I, to me, that's beyond borderline cringeworthy. I'm like, ooh. I'm like, ooh. And then she says, the devil. I'm like, ooh. And then the prayer, you, who are you praying to? The devil? And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> See, the problem with so many Christ followers is that we're doing things in the name of Christ as we're trying to live for Jesus. Or we're everything but like Jesus. I like what Philip Yancey said in his book, Prayer. He writes this, When I pray for another person, I'm praying for God to open my eyes so that I can see that person as God does. And then enter into the stream of love that God already directs towards that person. I thought that was a great analogy. There's a stream of love that God is pouring out to that person who's lost, who doesn't even know. I mean, who's clueless and does everything that the Bible tells us not to do. And everything that we despise and everything that we take pride in that we don't do or the things that we take pride in that we do that they don't do, that love of God is streaming towards them. And all we're doing as we're praying is we're just joining in that stream and being moved along towards that person. What a great imagery. But oftentimes we're, we're the ones who kind of step into that stream and block it. Because that person doesn't deserve it. That person is acting a certain way. So today I want to talk about just entering into the stream of God's love. And to be able to really love people around us so that as we have his heart, that we can share this gospel message that we believe in with all our hearts that transforms lives. Why? Because your life has been transformed by it. And it's still being transformed by it. My life has been transformed by it and it's being transformed because of it and we want that to be the thing that people experience the love of God so let me give us the one thing the one thing is simply this that God deals with us compassionately so that we must love people passionately that God deals with us compassionately so we must love people passionately I'm going to focus on two things in this last chapter of the book of Jonah. And once again, those of you who want to take notes, follow along. You could download our church app and there's notes there that you can fill in. And then you could save it and send it to yourself as an email. Keep a record of all this so that you have a collection of all the different notes as we're studying the Bible every single Sunday. There are two things I want us to uh, kind of understand in this chapter four about just so that we can remember about how God deals with us compassionately so that we must learn how to love people passionately. The first thing is this, that there is a revelation of our hearts. That God is so concerned about you understanding and seeing your heart. He wants to reveal your heart. Because it's only when you have awareness of who you are and about your heart, are you going to then respond in a way that is consistent with Scripture. That's why He will put you in situations where He's exposing you, that's why he's putting you in situations where you get completely, you look like a fool at times because you thought you were so sure, you thought you were so right, but then you realize later on, oh, I was wrong. He does these things because he wants you to have a revelation of your heart, where it's at. That's why even the psalmist prayed, if you remember in Psalm 
139, what did, he, what did he pray? He prayed, oh, search me, oh, Lord, and know my heart, and see if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me to the way everlasting. It's that realization of who you are and what's going on in your heart that God is concerned about. He's not so concerned about all the different sacrifices and all the different things that you do, all the different ministry teams that you're a part of, and the things that you're trying to share the gospel and the different people. Even though those are important, what he's constantly looking at is your heart. And that's what he wants to reveal. And so this is what we're going to see in chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. I'm going to go ahead and have us turn to Jan uh, Jonah chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first four verses. And as we read these first uh, four verses, or actually five verses, uh, we're going to get a, a little glimpse of the heart that God is trying to expose in Jonah. So listen to what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat at to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it uh, in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Let's pause here and look at these five verses. It's interesting to see the response of Jonah after God decided to spare the Ninevites as they repented when they heard the message from Jonah. Now there's two things that we see very clearly. First of all, we see Jonah's anger. In verse 1, we notice that God's compassion and love for the Ninevites somehow triggered him. Everyone say triggered. triggered. Like he got pissed. He got angry. It says, but it displeased, uh, displeased Jonah, and it says what? Exceedingly. And he was angry. He wasn't just displeased. He was exceedingly displeased. Listen to what the Amplified Version says of that verse or that phrase. It says this, The mercy God extended towards Nineveh upset Jonah terribly. The more he thought about it, the angrier he became. Huh. I hope you understand what Jonah is going through. I think all of us do. I'm wondering, have you ever got to a point in your life where you were so upset and angry about a person or a situation that after that happened, you're like, oh, and then after a while, you're just like an hour passes. And the more you begin to think about it, you go, you get more angry. That's exactly what's happening to Jonah. He's probably thinking about his life. He goes, what is my life? And he goes, these Ninevites, you know. And he's probably thinking, I haven't even changed my clothes in three days. These Ninevites and that big fish. The more he kept on thinking about it, the more angry he became, and it says he was exceedingly displeased. Now, it's interesting to see Jonah trying to even justify his anger by praying to God. I, I always find that really fascinating. <laughs> like, he, he, he's definitely in the wrong, but he's trying, somehow trying to justify himself before God by praying. If you look at his prayer in verse 2, 
you will notice that Jonah explains why he fled to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh. <laughs> I don't know, sometimes the Bible's really funny because it just tells us a lot about who we are. Here he is praying to God because he's pissed off, right? So he's praying to God. And he's trying to explain to God. Like God doesn't know. He has to inform God. So he's trying to pray to God and explain to God why he fled to Tarshish and why he disobeyed. So I could translate it like this. God, you know why I disobeyed you? Let, let me explain, God. <laughs> because you're such a nice God. You're compassionate. You're such a loving God. That's why. That's why I disobeyed you. I mean, you, you think about this, and it's like ridiculous. And I think that's the point of the story. In fact, this prayer is such an interesting prayer. Because Jonah was angry simply because God was being God. It's like telling somebody, you're short and I don't like you. You don't have hair and I don't like you. You know, you're from that country, so I don't like you. What, 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 what can I do? Why? Because in verse 2, Jonah starts quoting verses that is referenced to God's character. This is why it's amazing. you got to pay attention to this. This is good. Amen. <laughs> she even dropped the phone. It was so good. She's like, wow, it's so good. <laughs> Listen to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read it from the ESV. The Lord... The Lord, now when it's repeated twice, it's very important. The Lord, the Lord, it's not like da, da, da. It's like the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You can find similar descriptions about God's character in Joel chapter 2, verse 13. I'm not going to have time to read any of these. You can jot it down. It's in your notes. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, Psalm 103 and verse 8, and then Psalm 145, verse 8. It's saying the same thing. So can you imagine? Here is Jonah, the prophet, the holy man, who grew up ever since he was a child in the ways of the scriptures. So he knows this. He knows the passage in Exodus. He knows his passage in Joel. He knows his passage in Nehemiah. He knows his passage in Psalms that describes who God is. So even in his prayer, as he's angry, trying to justify himself, he is angry that God is God. The sad fact is that this makes it even worse for Jonah because it shows you a lot about his heart. He's quoting these scriptures that he knows that describes God's heart, but he didn't want that kind of heart to be shown to the Ninevites. It simply showed you his racism and his hatred and his bias. It was a revelation of Jonah's heart. The very thing that Jonah was afraid of happening just happened. What was he afraid of? That God will be merciful. That God will be compassionate. That God will forgive of their sins. He knew that that's who God is. 
But the very thing he didn't want it to happen, it happened. Because of God's character. And here's Jonah reasoning that this made him justified in his disobedience. It's like sinning and saying, God, you created my two hands. What, what do you want me to do? <laughs> this is why our hearts are so wicked. This is why we're so depraved. When everyone says, when people say things like, oh, he's so nice, or don't get fooled. I'm not saying that there's, there's no nice people in this world. But in the deepest part of our hearts, we're tainted with sin. We're depraved. We're sinful. That we can even justify our disobedience and blame it on God, on something that reflects His character. That's amazing. We do this all the time. We get angry at God because someone gets a job and we don't get a job because God is gracious and He's the one who provides. So He provided for someone, but then He hasn't provided for you. So you get angry at God. God answers a prayer for someone else's family member, and then you've been praying, and then that prayer is not answered, and so you get angry at God knowing that God answers prayers and God is sovereign and He's purposeful and He will do everything to accomplish His will to those who have been called according to His purpose. But we're angry at God. We hate God. We're trying to justify our behavior and our response because it's not happening to us. So then in verse 3, as we have read, we see Jonah pulling the most selfish and self-centered move. <laughs> Man, as I was reading this, I'm like, wow, this describes my heart. <laughs> like, that's why the Bible is so amazing. It is a window, like a mirror to your heart. Jonah pulls some of the most self-centered, selfish, childish move you could ever think of. Since God relented from pouring out his wrath to these people and he didn't destroy the city that he hated so much, what did he do? He felt so discouraged and so defeated that he said, I've lost all my reason for living. In fact, it says Jonah wanted to die because God was not going to destroy the Ninevites. Then it's better to kill him. That sounds a lot like my children when they were younger. Well, if you're not going to do this, then I hate you. You're not my parents. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like that is the most childish, self-centered move you could pull out. Because you're not going to give me this, then I'm not going to do this. And, and the sad fact is some of you haven't grown up. Some of you still do that. Passive-aggressiveness. Some of you have mastered it, not only because you're Asian, but you're just, you're a master of passive aggressiveness. No, it's okay. I, I, I don't want it. No, you, you, can just, you can just do it by yourself. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know what, I was hurt when you said that because I wanted to help out. And you know, 
That's why passive-aggressive people are very self-centered and narcissistic people by nature. Whenever I see that, I'm like, narcissist, self-centered, haven't grown up yet. I cannot recommend them to someone else because they need to grow up. Because you're not aware of your emotions. You're not aware of the situation. That's a sign of immaturity. So you're passive-aggressive. It affects relationships. It affects people around you. It affects life group. It affects church. It affects your relationship with the lost. It's a sin. Some of us then will just remove ourselves. Listen to what the New Living Translation says about that verse. Here's Jonah. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. <laughs> Put it in like a five-year-old voice. It works really well. Kill me now, you know, Lord. <laughs> well, you don't have to be five years old. You could be in your 20s your 30s, even in your 40s. Uh, those of you who might not know my wife, Christina, uh, she's a very compassionate woman. I mean, she, obviously she had to be to marry me, you know, so uh, very loving, very compassionate. If you've ever gotten to know her, I mean, she's just, she's a magnet for just people who are hurting and, you know, those people just very compassionate. And so there are times when I'm, I'm, I'm up in arms about something at church, you know. I'm like, oh, you know, frustrated. And, you know, that person I want to kick out of our church. I want to do this. You know, I'm just going off at it, you know. <laughs> Should I go over here and start preaching, you know? No. See, this is what happens when the pastor starts being honest, right? This is when people are like, ah! <laughs> I never sinned in my life. Come on. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're all sinful. So, yeah, I'm going off and sharing how I'm frustrated about this and this person that. And she knows how I feel. And she's listening. Sometimes she just, she knows how to like take out that fire when she goes, well, let's just pray about it. I think we should pray. And I'm just like, I don't want to hear that, you know. Well, why? That's the worst thing you can say to a pastor, right? <laughs> when, he's, when he's complaining. When he's complaining and he's angry about something, he's like, just pray about it. It's like, you know. <laughs> Jonah, I feel you. <laughs> you know, so like. And it's amazing because in the midst of my feeling what I feel, and sometimes still not dealing with those issues or even addressing it right away, there are times when she might, out of her generosity and kindness and love, uh, she decides to either invite them over or bless them with a meal or something like that. I'm just like, good night. I am so upset. Did you not hear what I was telling you about that person? She's like, but they need, they need God's love. I'll tell you what they need. They need God's <laughs> discipline and His wrath. You're spoiling them. 
And then I get really upset because then by this time, I'm realizing that she is not seeing what I'm seeing because what I see is really the truth. <laughs> you know how it is. So then in this, in this situation, I'm throwing a, a fit. I'm pouting. I'm like, huh, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do all this stuff. She goes, what is your problem? She's like, you're a grown... Well, she doesn't use any bad words, but she's like, you're a grown man. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm five. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm like, and that's the last thing I want to hear either. But I realized in that moment she revealed more of my heart than anything else. How small it is. How impatient I am. How unloving I could become. How uncompassionate I am. How I have forgotten about God's grace and mercy in my life. Not only do we see Jonah's anger, but check this out. You're going to see a lot more of this self-centeredness and narcissistic behavior. The second thing that we see is we see Jonah's aloofness. Those of you who might not know what that word means, is just literally just distant. If you look at verse 4, God asked Jonah a question. And I'm going to read it from different translations so you can understand it. It's, it's hard to understand, like, do you do well? You're like, huh? I'm doing really well, you know. So let me translate it for you in these other translations so that you can understand what God was asking Jonah. In the New American Standard Bible, he says, do you have good reason to be angry? In the New Living Translation, it says, is it right for you to be angry about this? In the contemporary English version, it says this, what right do you have to be angry? This question implied a negative response. You should have said, I don't have any right. I, I have no reason to be angry. Because that was the case with Jonah. Jonah had no right. He had no good reason to be angry. Expressing his anger trying to explain himself and justify himself, Jonah was demonstrating that he was not able to think outside of his self-centered perspective. That was just that clear. Then in verse 5, what we see is that Jonah ends up leaving the city, and on the east side of the city, he builds this shelter, it says here, that most likely from the tree branches that he was probably gathering, and he builds this shelter that covered him from the sun. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Not only is he angry and he felt justified to be angry, which was very self-centered, but now he's aloof and he goes, you know what, I don't even want to deal with this. There are some of you in this room, this is how you deal with problems. You run away. You become very aloof. You don't talk to people. You don't try to clarify. You ignore them. You Blue tick. You are, you are narcissistic by tendency and self-centered by nature. That's why in order to become more like Jesus, you have to fight this. God is trying to reveal your heart. This is who we are in our sinful nature. That not only do we get angry when we are not justified to get angry about, 
but we also get aloof. And we're like, you know what? I don't want to even deal with this right now. Because it's all about us. That's how self-centered we are. And so here, sitting outside the city, Jonah apparently had this clear view of the city. He's pretty much on the peak. He's looking at all of the city of Nineveh. And we don't know exactly why he was sitting outside of the city, but he probably was hoping that God would possibly, hopefully, change his mind. That God will say, you know what, Jonah, you're right. Sorry for not listening to you. Let me go ahead and do what I should have done. You were right. I'm going to destroy the city. Jonah's like, finally, God. You know, and come start coming back. Isn't it easy to distance ourselves from things and people that we feel justified in what we're thinking or feeling? It's a revelation of our hearts. But it's only when you see your heart can you experience God's compassion and God's love. How about us this morning? Are there people that you secretly believe that do not deserve God's grace and His love? Maybe it's that person who hurt you. Maybe that person did something to you. That you're hoping and wishing that nothing good would happen. Every single time you see them succeed, every single time you see them happy, it gets you more angry. That's your heart, your sinful heart. Would you get angry if God told you to love people that you despise? I want you to love that person. God, no. You don't know what they did to me. Of course he does. I'm wondering if we've forgotten his love and his grace and his mercy in our lives. So we see the revelation of our hearts. Let me close with the second point. Not only the revelation of our hearts, but what we see is the realization of God's heart. The realization of God's heart. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 6 through 9. Listen to what the Word of God says as the story continues. It says this, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Then the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry angry enough to die. I want you to notice the word appointed. That God appointed a plant so that it will give Jonah shade from the sun. That word appointed was also used for the worm to come about to eat up that shade. The word appointed can be translated as prepared or arranged or provided. What we have to catch in this story is that this is the sovereign work of God. Here is God in His loving ways, not only loving the Ninevite people who did not know who God was, but He loved Jonah. 
even in spite of his heart, even in spite of who he was and the attitude that he had, the self-righteousness, this hypocriticalness that we see so clearly that God still loved him. So what did God do? He appointed, he sovereignly worked so that the shade would come and grow. And the next day, he appointed a worm to come and eat it up so that it will be gone. Why? Because what God was trying to do, and I hope you catch this, is that he was going to give Jonah a teaching moment. Everyone say teaching moment. This is what God is trying to do all the time in our lives. He's providing and appointing, arranging, providing for you a teaching moment. God wanted to illustrate that what was going on in Jonah's heart and what wanted to reiterate his heart for people. That's why it was a teaching moment. Look at your heart, Jonah, but look at my heart. But when you look at verse 6, we realize that God's heart is still compassionate and loving in the lesson he's about to teach him. So, so I want you to think, here he is, still acting the way he is, God, with this teaching moment, shows you how much he still is compassionate and loving towards Jonah. And this is the part I, I just get humbled. I mean, you got to sit on this for a little bit. When you look at verse 6, it specifically says that God gave shade to what? To save him from his discomfort. I want you to just park it there for a moment. That in his self-centeredness, in his selfishness, in his narcissistic attitude, in his lack of love, in his racism, in his hatred, God appoints this vine to grow over his head. And the reason, and one of the reasons, not only to teach him about something, but it says what? Because he didn't want Jonah to be in discomfort. Isn't that amazing? That even when God is trying to teach a lesson, he doesn't hurt him. Are you with me? He still loves him. He does it in a loving way because he wants what's best for Jonah. This is what God does to us. Right now, some of you in your life are going through some difficult things. Right now, some of you are going through things where you just feel like, I just want to die. Or you're questioning God. Why is he the way he is? God, why are you blessing that person and not me? Why are you working in that family and not in my family? Why do they have all these things and I don't? And in the midst of that, as your heart is so wicked and we want to turn away from God, God is still finding different ways to remind you that he loves you, that he's compassionate towards you, that he has a plan for you, that he has a purpose for you. That he put this vine over his head so that Jonah will be able to feel a little bit less discomfort. That's his grace. That's his mercy. But how does Jonah respond? <laughs> well, like anyone would, he was exceedingly glad. Now listen, here's where the lesson comes. This is a complete contrast to verse 1, which when he was exceedingly what? Angry. Or displeased. Do you remember? That same word, exceedingly, is repeated. This time he is exceedingly glad. 
Why? Because it's all about him. But then the next day, as I share, this worm comes and withers the plant. The bright sun starts beating down on him, and then he becomes faint. And then God also decides, I'm going to add a little bit more into this ingredient, some picante sauce, you know what I'm saying? A little bit spicy sauce. And so he sends this wind, the scorching wind to come, just to add a little bit along with the sun. And then just like we all expect, here's Jonah. He does, said the same thing that he said about the Ninevite people. That's why in verse 8, he says, it's better for me to die. It's so hot, I'd rather just die. You know, some of you guys say it in jest. Oh my God, it's so hot, I want to die, right? It's so hot. Hong Kong is so hot. But he really wanted to die. He goes, you do this, God, and now you're doing this? Just kill me right now. Just kill me right now. And then look at verse 9. God asked the same question that he did in verse 4. This is the lesson. And let me read it from the NIV. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And what does Jonah respond with? I do. I do have a right to be angry about this. I'm so angry, I want to die. Man, if you're following the story, anyone with at least some level of reading comprehension, to the reader, it is so obvious that Jonah had no, ang no right to be angry. Why? Listen to me carefully. This is the teaching moment. Because the shade that came over him through the vine, he got it because he did nothing. Are you with me? He did nothing to get the shade. Jonah didn't deserve it. He should have been in discomfort. But God gave it to him freely, undeservedly. But sadly, in his pride, Jonah thought that he was entitled to this. In fact, he was probably, if he wanted to go all out, he said, God, you should have sent those two servants who are fanning the, like this, and you should have brought me a iced lemon tea. Whenever you feel entitled to something, you totally forget about grace. We don't deserve anything. Because once you feel entitled, you start feeling like, why aren't they doing this for me? Why aren't they saying this? Why aren't they providing this? And God always has to check my heart. One of the things you guys know in our church, we, 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 we boast in our, how we love to host people. We host to boast about Jesus. So we love hosting people. That's why when we have guest speakers or anyone, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can just to bless them so they can better serve us when they come as guest speakers. 
And I'm thankful that over the years, from back from Michigan to now, and just even the people that we have now, like, like, like even last night, you guys blessed our families, as po- Pastor Bo mentioned. We, we, didn't, we didn't deserve that. But you guys blessed us anyway as a church, and we're grateful. But I realize that sometimes when you begin to experience this, and as some of you know, whenever I go out to speak and do all this stuff, I get hosted by other people, and they almost treat you like a king. Like they're always like thinking about what you're going to eat, if you need any water, all this kind of stuff. And after a while, you start thinking to yourself, I am important. And you feel very entitled. How do you know that? Because sometimes you don't even know if you're feeling entitled to something. It's only when you don't get it. Are you with me? So there were times when I would go to a retreat or a place where I'm speaking and they don't have all this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with them? (laughs) Or when I come here and certain things are not done, I'm like, oh, what's going on? But then you have to think through it and I'm just like, wait a minute. I'm not entitled to that. I don't deserve that. That was just out of the kindness of people's hearts. So if next ignite, I go to Pastor, hey, bro, what did you use last year's gift certificate for? Well, we used it for this restaurant. I think this year it's going to get better. First night rolls around, nothing, because, you know, Second day, oh, Bo, did they switch the schedule or something? <laughs> Why didn't they recognize us? And the last night, I'm about to preach, and I'm like, I don't feel like preaching right now because I haven't received a gift certificate. <laughs> Are you with, do you see how messed up that is? When you start thinking that, when you start feeling that, that shows you you are entitled. To something that you, it, it's not because it's a gift. It's grace. It's mercy. It is just God's love being poured out through people. And so that's why God asked Jonah once again the same questions, the same things that happened earlier. He's doing it again in a different way, in a perspective that he could understand because this is the lesson. Not only did he show the revelation of his heart, he's trying to help Jonah to understand and realize God's heart. Why? Because somehow, just short-term memory, Jonah forgot about his disobedience to God. He forgot how he went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. He just forgot about it. He just forgot about being swallowed up by that big fish and he could have died and that he was rescued. He just forgot about it. He forgot about God giving him a second chance to obey. He just forgot about it. And this is what I want to challenge all of us, and myself included, is why are we so forgetful of the times that God has been patient with us, forgiven us, loved us, gave us second opportunities when we didn't deserve it. He should have banished us. The wrath of God should have been upon us. Why do we forget those times when God has forgiven us and has been kind to us? 
We forget because we get focused on ourselves and we're thinking about that person who has hurt us. We're thinking about that situation that we wanted that we're not getting because we feel entitled to. That's why we forget about His grace and mercy. This highlights God on the other side of it because His heart for the people. No one is deserving of His grace and mercy. But God is compassionate and He is loving even though people are rebellious and selfish in their ways. When we understand that the gospel, what the gospel is, and realize that we ourselves are so undeserving of God's love and mercy for us, then we would not object. Listen to me carefully. We would not object when God shows mercies, mercy and grace to others. Can I get a good amen to that? When you understand the depths of the gospel message, you will not object when God shows mercy and grace to other people because you yourself didn't deserve it. They don't deserve it, but you received it, and so now they are receiving it. This is the reason why when you cannot love people, you're forgetting about God's love for you. This is the reason why when you cannot forgive people, it shows that you have forgotten God's forgiveness of your sins in your life. This is the reason why when you forget about what? The lost people, even though they might be hideous in the way they live and evil in the things they do, when you cannot love them when they're so lost, they don't know Jesus, then you have forgotten when there was a time when you did not know Jesus Christ. That just means you've been a Christian for too long that you forgot how lost you were. And you know the famous last two verses. I'm going to read it because this is the driving home point of the lesson. What does Jesus or what does God say to Jonah? And the Lord said in verse 10, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Finally, God helps Jonah to recognize his own depravity and to help him to see God's compassion. God wanted Jonah to see how his feelings were not justified because he did nothing to deserve that shade. From that plant nothing in fact in verse 10 in the message translation it says this god says what's this how is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get you neither planted nor watered it it grew up one night and died the next night what he's saying is this look at you look 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 at what's happening Look at your heart and look at my heart. What does he say? A couple things we realize. First of all, he's trying to help him to see his concern for people. The plant that Jonah was concerned about was not his own. He didn't labor for it. He didn't make it grow. In the same way, think about this. Listen to the lesson. People in Nineveh whom God had compassion were all the work of his hands. God created. They were made in the image of God which gave God more reason to have concern and compassion. Are you with me? 
Here's Jonah so concerned about something that he did not create. But God is trying to say, these people I did create. How can I not love them the way you love this thing that you did not even create? That's the contrast. God was exposing Jonah's heart by showing that he was more concerned about a plant than the welfare of people. Not only God's concern, but God's genuine care for them. God was trying to help Jonah see the proportionality of his love. This is important. And these are the lessons he's trying to draw out. What do I mean by the proportionality of his love? The plant showed God's compassion on what? One person. Are you with me? Just follow along. God gave this plant to give shade for one person. But the people of Nineveh, it says here, are 120,000. Now, some commentators will argue that it's just counting men, but there must have been a lot more because of women and children. However you want to look at it, the point is still clear. Here's one person, Jonah, and 120,000 people. God gave shade for this one person. How could God not be concerned about 120,000? Are you with me? What God is trying to say is there are many more people in the city that I should be concerned about as I was concerned about you by giving you this shade. The phrase, do not know their right hand from the left, is a reference to people who are in spiritual darkness. When you don't know your left hand from your right, it's pretty much saying that you are spiritually darkened. You just don't know. You're clueless. So in our context, we can say they don't know Jesus Christ. They're lost. That's why they keep on doing what they're doing. Like some of you get so shocked and surprised when things happen, when some people do certain things. Why are you shocked? They're blinded. They're in darkness. They don't know. And even if they're Christians and they do things, we shouldn't be shocked. Why? Because we're all sinful by nature. And apart from God's grace, all of us, would be murderers, rapists, and doing all these other things except for the grace of God. Why is this all important to us? Because this is a picture of Jesus. That He had compassion on us when we did not deserve His grace and mercy. He took our sins and died on the cross and suffered what we should have suffered because of our sins. And the part that is so powerful that I want you to see this, why this means it's pointing to Jesus. That Jesus was the better Jonah that we were all longing for. Is that we see here Jonah went outside of the city and looked upon it and wished that it will be destroyed. But then Jesus went outside of the city of Jerusalem in Golgotha. And then he died. He suffered so that we may live. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 in the New Living Translation. So as Jesus suffered and died, come on, say this with me, outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking 
forward to a home yet to come. I hope you caught that. Here's Jonah, angry, aloof, and God had to reveal his heart and realize God's heart. In his anger, he went outside of the city looking at it, still judging it. But then here comes Jesus, who went outside of the city to bear our sins. And as the writer of Hebrews is saying, now let us become like Jesus to go outside of our comfort zone, to go outside of the city in the sense where wherever we feel this is our home, comfort zone, so that we can now bear the disgrace of others, to be able to love people. Do you have this kind of heart for people? Do you have this kind of concern and care? How deeply do you understand the gospel? I hope there's a realization of God's heart. So once again, God deals with us compassionately, so we must love people passionately. Can I give us some quick next steps? And as you can tell, we're going to take communion today to be reminded of that sacrifice as we close out this Ignite weekend and respond to God. First of all, deconstruct your idea of Christianity. Now, I am not saying try to get rid of Jesus or trying to get rid of... When I say deconstruct, it's that some of you have a Christianity that is based on legalism, humanism, and it's just religiosity. Get to the basics. It's about Jesus. It's about God and His love for you and His love for people. It's about you obeying His Word and doing His work as He empowers you, which is to love people and share the gospel. Some of you make it about meeting. Some of you make it about doing all the stuff. Deconstruct your gospel in such a way, your Christianity, so that it can get to the core. Some of you have to get rid of all your, your, your and please don't misunderstand me. I, I'm glad that many of you have Christian families. Your parents raised you in a Christian way. Those things are all good. But some of you somehow misconstrued this Christianity and made it into all about doing things and performance. This is why you get tripped up in your Christian life. That's why some of you are disillusioned. Deconstruct it and get it to the basics of who Jesus is, about the cross and why you need it, how we're depraved and we need this gospel for ourselves. The second thing is this, declare the gospel over yourself. Every single day, whenever you see yourself stumble and fall, when you see your heart as ugly as it is, preach the gospel to yourself. Declare it over yourself. When you feel insecure, when you feel jealous, when you feel that God doesn't, declare that truth over yourself. I am secure. I, I am a child of God. God loves me regardless of what I get in my exam, whether I get that job or not. Declare that over yourself so that you will remember that it's about the gospel message. The third thing is this. Devote time to pray for people. You will never learn to love people unless you learn how to pray for people. I, I will challenge you with this. Is there anyone right now that you cannot forgive? Is there anyone right now that you cannot love? They've hurt you. They've done things to you. They, they have caused just havoc in your life. My challenge is this. Every single day this week, pray for them. Couple minutes, five minutes, every single day, and see your heart changing. Because that's what happened to me. 
There are people that would say things, do things, and I would get angry at, and I'll see them. I just want to say, oh, I don't want to minister to them. I hate this person. And all of a sudden, God convicts me, and I'm praying for them. And as I'm praying for them, the next time I see them, I, I want to just wave my hand, go, hey, what's going on? Then I pray for them, and next week, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Hey, how's your week? And I find myself, my heart changing, because why? Prayer changes hearts. Can I get a good amen to that? That's why whenever I hear people saying, I can't love them, or I hate them, and stuff, you're not praying. Don't come up to me and tell me that you cannot forgive or hate somebody, because you're not praying. Because you cannot pray and then have the same attitude. That's the same way. I try to, try to tell those people from Hong Kong. Like, you could take out your anger and your frustration, how much the city has changed, and blame it on one group of people. Or even blame it on the government. When was the last time you prayed? Don't come up to me and talk to me about all the stuff unless you fasted and you prayed. It's easy for some of us on the other side to hate certain people. You haven't prayed. You're not devoting yourself to it because this is what changes hearts. Because God, then God infuses His love into your heart as you begin to pray. The last thing is this. Demonstrate God's love daily in small ways. Small ways. When you're sitting down comfortably because you were so tired from a long commute and walking around in the MTR, when you see an old person, get, the, get up. Small ways. Hold the door for somebody. Sometimes it could backfire, men. All these women are like, feminist women, they're like, I can hold my own door. Then they're like, excuse me? <laughs> hold the door for somebody. Sometimes when I'm in a taxi and we pass the booth, it's amazing these taxi drivers, they don't even say anything. They don't. Some of you have cars and drive. Next time, just say, hi, how, how's your day so far? And watch them drop over dead because no one says anything to them. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, pastor, you don't know our culture. I don't care about culture in the sense, in this way. If it's biblical, the Bible trumps culture. You see somebody by themselves in the cafeteria, by themselves alone eating? Maybe you can go up to them. And if they say, you know what, I want to be alone, then just move on out. So many little things that you can show God's love on a daily basis. Let me close out with this video. You guys know right now, and even probably about four, four, six, six to, four to six months ago, uh, in the United States there was a height of just racism and a lot of things going on. Uh, even now, just uh, the racism towards Asians uh, in the States. And there was a pastor in a church who decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go totally against the flow. He was a white pastor. And this was during a time when there was a president who promoted that it's okay to do certain things and treat people a certain way. So he decided, I'm going to go against this. And that black lives do matter. 
Now, I know there's like a political ramification and now it's gone to like a different uh, meaning to that. But just being able to say like every single person matters, whether you're black, you're yellow, whatever, we matter. So he decided instead of just talking, he's going to do something. I want to show you this video and I want you to listen to what he's saying. Because even though you might not be able to fully relate because it's about something that happened in the States, there's a lot of it right now here politically. There's a lot of it here right now with some of the racism that's going on. Man, I, I'm just amazed at the type of racism that I see even here. I was talking with somebody not too long ago and just because they have a different color skin. I mean, I could get away with it unless I start opening my mouth and they realize I'm not a local. But I can kind of get away with it a little bit because I'm Asian. But if you're not Asian and you're here in Asia, there's a subtle racism that you, like, you face. So it's not a U.S. problem. It's a heart problem because we see it everywhere. Those people with darker skin hear it even in Hong Kong whether they're from Africa, whether they're from India or uh, Bangladesh or anyone with dark skin, there's like this subtle racism. You see it even in some of these other countries. They're Indonesians, but they have darker skin. And so we need to wake up and the lack of love in our hearts and let God be the revealer of that and then for us to realize His love for us. Let's watch this and afterwards... We'll close out here with communion. I really believe that more people will actually come to know Jesus Christ when they can witness things like that. But the problem is, we, when we look at our hearts, when we look at ourselves, we are the problem. Don't ever forget, it's never God's problem. He's very clear he wants to save the lost. He loves the lost. He wants to show mercy. He wants to show grace. And he wants to use us to do that. But we ourselves, our lives have not been transformed by the gospel because we don't understand it. We're all about behavior modification, doing this, not doing this, rules of do's and don'ts. No wonder people think we're so judgmental. No wonder people think we're so self-righteous. If you understood the gospel, you would share it in a way that I am just as sinful as you, except apart from the grace and mercy of God. I don't deserve that little vine to come over me. If you could understand it in the deepest part of your hearts, I'm telling you right now, not only will it transform you, it will transform your relationship with people around you, and you will be one of the greatest evangelists of sharing the love of God. And our church will overflow with people who want to hear the gospel message. I think what we need to do is to repent and to say, God, sorry. How patient you've been with me. How loving you have been towards me when I didn't deserve it. And through that, with that kind of heart, you can love people around you. There are people dying without Jesus Christ every single day. 
we go to work and there's people that if they get into a car accident and something happens, they will die and spend their Christless eternity. And we don't care. We get up, we go to school, we go to classes, and there's people who something can happen to them and we just don't care. What we need to ask God is, God, revive my heart. Remind me of the gospel that was so good, the good news for me, that I want this to be good news for the world. We prayed all throughout this conference, the Ignite Conference, that God will do something, and he will launch us. And we have an opportunity to be launched into all different spheres of society. I think about all the people who participated in the conference. Can you imagine if every single one of us, we shared our lives, laid down our lives, shared it with others, and that one person comes to Christ because of us. That means not only are we going to double in size, it's not about the number, but that's another, all of heaven will rejoice because more people have been rescued from hell. That's one less person in hell and one more in heaven. I want that for every single person who don't know Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that you'll give us your heart. And sometimes, Lord, you're trying to show us every single day. But we're not paying attention. Thank you for these stories in Scripture that remind us that we're just like Jonah in so many ways. We feel justified and angry. We get aloof when things don't happen the way we want it to. But Lord, you remind us once again that we don't deserve anything. And being able to stand here and be in your presence to worship you, Lord, is truly your grace and your mercy. I just pray that you'll open up our eyes and see the needs around us. Lord, there are so many people who do not know their left hand from their right. They're in spiritual darkness. And God, as we have experienced this great news, this good news, I just ask, Lord, that we will be able to not only be grateful, but to take it and to share it with as many people as possible. Lord, help us not to live a life that seems so perfect, because it's not, but to magnify you, to boast about you, that you're perfect, that you are perfect in your love, you're perfect in your grace. So as we close out this book in the book of Jonah, Lord, I pray that as you deal with us compassionately, may it motivate us, fuel us, to strengthen us, to love others passionately with your love. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.